What is up, cyber and crypto world? Hope everybody's having a great week. Today is Friday, November the 8th of 2019. And this is episode number 94 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. All right, so some cool stuff came up this week, so I wanted to do a second podcast this week to touch on some of these things that just came up here. So we're going to talk about in cybersecurity, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, DNS over HTTPS. Also going to talk about several different data breaches. We'll also touch briefly again on some of the Blue Keep exploits out there. We'll also talk about breach fines that companies are having to pay when they do get a breach. So we'll talk about that as well. There's a pretty funny one here too about a California DMV. So we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about Ring Doorbell. Facebook had yet another privacy issue. So we'll touch on that as well. Also talk about Trend Micro and what happened with them. And last but not least in cybersecurity, we're going to talk a little bit about protecting critical infrastructure. On the cryptocurrency side of things, we're going to talk about Stellar Lumens and some of the things that they've done here recently. Pretty crazy stuff that I feel like they did, but uh, I'm sure there was some sort of reasoning behind it. But we'll talk about what they just did recently. Also going to touch briefly on Tether and what they're saying now about their quote-unquote stable coin. Talk a little bit about Ethereum and their upcoming hard fork as well. And we're also going to talk about a new company called Tencent. Uh, actually, they're not a new company, but uh, Tencent is apparently going to make a blockchain-based virtual bank. So we'll talk about that as well. We're also going to talk about Coinbase and uh, Tezos, the crypto out there, T-E-Z-O-S. I think I'm saying that right. Probably not saying it right, but Tezos, Tezos, whatever it is. You can now do... Some cool stuff with that on Coinbase, so we'll talk about that as well. And then kind of for the side topic, we'll talk about how proof of stake is going to affect crypto mining malware. So I've got some interesting ideas and thoughts about that. All right, so to kick things off here, we're going to talk first about the DNS over HTTPS. So this has been a big push by all of the major browser creators out there, Firefox, Google Chrome, Brave you name it, they're all trying to push for encrypted DNS traffic. The problem is all of the ISPs do not want that data encrypted. ISPs like to spy on us. They like to see where we're going, see what we're doing. And by encrypting that data, they won't be able to see what you're doing or where you're going. Huh? Hey, go figure. A little bit of privacy, huh? So specifically in Chrome, and I believe also, well, sorry, in Brave, and I think also in Chrome, you can do the same thing, but you have to manually go and turn on DNS over HTTPS. You have to go to brave colon slash slash flags slash DNS dash over dash HTTPS, and then turn on that flag to manually enable DNS over HTTPS. Uh, Chrome is very similar. Instead of Brave at the beginning, it's Chrome, colon, slash, slash, flags. Same path there. So it is something that right now you have to manually enable in your browsers. Either way, highly recommend going out there and turning that on on all of your devices. And make sure that you are protecting 
yourself, protecting your internet traffic, not giving away every single site that you're visiting to the ISPs. So go out there if you got Brave or if you've got Chrome, go out there and make sure you've turned on uh, that flag there. I suspect too that Edge, the Edge browser, which is basically now Chrome as well, but it's made by Microsoft, they're going to have probably the exact same thing where you go into those flags, those hidden flags, and turn it on. So I'm sure that's coming for them as well. But man, the ISPs do not like it. Sorry. But anyway, protect yourself. Make sure you're protecting your privacy. ISPs don't need to see every single thing that we're doing. That's just not okay on so many levels. All right, some other news here about... There's an article that came out in uh, Wired. used to be a magazine. It's not a magazine anymore. Uh, But Wired was basically telling you how to go and... Uh, reclaim your data from the internet. And they kind of go through some basic steps and yada, yada, yada. It immediately made me think of using aliases for everything that you sign up for online that you possibly can. I know it's not easy to do for everything, but any chance you can where you don't have to specifically validate your identity, use an alias and use a burner email account. Do not give away your personal information because these breaches happen so much. I mean, our data is probably already out there at this point, but to prevent it from further getting out there, using an alias, who cares if they steal that data, right? I don't care. You can have it because it's not really you. You can set up a Google voice number and don't even have to tie that Google voice number to anything, but you can put that as your phone number for your newly created alias. Uh, I like to use ProtonMail for burner accounts as well. So there's lots of different ways you can do it. Make up a name, uh, but don't don't give away your real name and your real email address and your real phone number, your real address, because who knows what's going to happen to that data. There's so many privacy issues and you know if it gets breached, oh man, it's just, it's nasty. And so the other thing too is a lot of these you know, new like GDPR and and the new California CCPA, they allow you to go and request that your data gets scrubbed. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but you got to go and track all that data down. And that is not easy to do. That in and of itself will take you years probably to track down all that data. Whereas if you use an alias for everything that you possibly can, there's a lot less things that you have to go around and track down and clear your personal information out of. So get a burner email account. Doesn't have to be Proton Mail, just whatever you want to use. Get a burner email account. Get a burner Google Voice number. Make up an address. Give them the address to the public library. Whatever you want to do. Just don't give away your real information any vo- anymore. I understand you got to do it for your bank. Totally get that. Um, so another trick there too. Some people might think, well, if I'm paying for something online, they're going to need my billing address. That is true. However, there is a really cool service out there called privacy.com, which allows you to set up virtual credit cards and you can use any name and address that you possibly want to as the quote unquote billing address and it will, the transaction will clear. So it is really, really cool. Uh, If you haven't tried it before, I highly recommend checking it out. It's privacy.com. And really, even on privacy.com, you don't have to give them your real name either. (laughs) Um, So it's a really cool service. You you got virtual credit cards. uh, You can generate a new one on the fly if you wanted to. Really, really cool stuff. And it'll accept any kind of billing address. Doesn't matter. Those transactions will go through. So sign up for something like that as well. 
as part of your new alias that you're going to use and pay for things with privacy.com. Use that alias everywhere you can and just just protect yourself as much as possible. We we got to reclaim our lives back here a little bit and reclaim some of our privacy if we can. It's just getting crazy out there. All right, some other news here. I talked about it earlier this week, but Blue Keep is still being exploited. And Microsoft came out and gave their big fat warning. I love these warnings. Microsoft warns that Blue Keep is bad. Of course it is. So again, if you have any older systems, 2008 and older make sure you go get all of those updated and or patched somehow if you can all right some other news here about data breach fines so i saw this article on threat post and it talked about you know basically are the data breach fines helping uh, prevent more of these data breaches and the answer is no it's not but why is the question right why is it not helping well it's not like people are trying to go get breached they don't want to and sometimes even if you spend a crap ton of money on security it still happens anyway uh, so those fines are you know, it's kind of like a double doozy for the business you know you've already gotten hacked and now you got to pay some massive fine. I mean, I understand the need to do that to pay for damages for people's information that was stolen or whatever. So I, I totally get that part of it. But it's certainly not helping the situation. It's not helping people or businesses want to be more secure. Uh, that's for dang sure. And it's unfortunate. And I don't, I, of course, I have no idea what the answer is for this. But those fines are definitely not working. And the number of breaches just continues to go up every single year. Month over month, they just continue getting more and more and more frequent. And I, really, there's no end in sight, it seems like, until somebody figures out a better way to protect all this information. It's, it's going to be the new normal. All right, some other news here about a California DMV. I thought this was especially funny. Uh, they got busted with giving seven government entities access to social security information um, of about 3,200 drivers and licensed applicants for at least the last four years. And so they're calling this a data breach, but the DMV gave this access mistakenly. Whoops! What's really funny here is the <laughs> the new California privacy laws, the CCPA. <laughs> well, this DMV is the California DMV, and <laughs> now they're going to get fined by their own law. I mean, how's that going to work? I, felt, I just thought that was really funny. But again, this is just showing that a mistake will happen and your info gets out there. And that's legit personal info that you actually have to give them. And we trust these government entities with our personal information because we have to give it to them in order to be a citizen of the United States. And you have to hope and pray that they have enough security. And if you're like me, when you go to the DMV, you look around and look at the computers and look at the network. And you can tell pretty much right off the bat that it's not exactly up to snuff. So anyway, the, this DMV, I'm sure, is going to get hit by their own CCPA uh, privacy laws now, too. All right, some other news about Ring video doorbells. They had apparently had some uh, vulnerabilities that were leaking uh, Wi-Fi login information. And apparently this has been a, a bug that's been widely open and available for quite some time now. So essentially, the Ring video doorbell has an open network open wireless network and you can connect to that open wireless network and once you do you can see the username and password of the wireless networks 
So it's a little bit crazy there. Sorry, it's the username and password of the actual Ring uh, video doorbell itself, not the wireless network, excuse me. Uh, so you can get the username and password of your Ring video doorbell. So anyway, this has been out there for quite some time, apparently, too. Uh, it was patched back in September of this year. But holy smokes, I mean, that's been sitting out there for how long now? Yikes. Yikes. I keep seeing these these kinds of hacks with smart home stuff, and it just really freaks me out. Uh, Ring Video Doorbell also had a big one back in, like, 2016. They Some pen testers found a bug in it, and you could steal Wi-Fi passwords and you know, all kinds of stuff. So it seems that, for whatever reason, Ring Video Doorbell is, is either super easy to hack or, you know, these researchers are just getting extremely lucky lucky with that one particular IoT device. Anyway, if you got a Ring video doorbell, make sure you get it updated. All right, some other news here. I saw an article also on Threat Post about protecting mission critical infrastructure like power grids and, you know, water sanitation plants and all, all kinds of things like that. And basically the article goes on to say that Patching these systems essentially doesn't happen because these systems are always on and you can't take them offline to patch them in most cases. So patches either happen extremely rarely or they don't happen at all. That freaks me out like crazy to know that our critical infrastructure isn't even getting patched at all. And apparently there's a bunch of known vulnerabilities in all this critical infrastructure. So it makes me, I guess, if, if I was this critical infrastructure, I don't know, if I was the government or whatever running all this stuff, why wouldn't they have a, you know, a backup network doing the exact same thing? That way you could turn one off, patch it, bring it back up, turn off the other one, patch it, bring it back up. That way you've got two running and you can still turn one off to patch the other. And you got a backup too. If one goes down, you can fail over to the other one and vice versa. Maybe that's too easy or maybe it's just too difficult with all the infrastructure that's already out there. Maybe it's just not, not doable at all. I don't, I don't know. I don't have those answers, but it seems like that would be a fairly easy way to fix this problem. But unfortunately, at this point in time, a lot of those systems are not getting patched. So how does that make you feel about our our, <laughs> our power grid and, and the water that you drink? That really, really, really scares me. Makes me want to go get some solar panels. <laughs> All right, some other news here about your friends at Facebook. Oh, man, guess what? There's another privacy issue with Facebook. For the last 18 months, some of Facebook's developers have had access to private user information contained within some of the social media's sites' groups. The information was accessible through the Facebook Groups API. Here's another API thing, right? Uh, that API allowed those developers uh, that are making apps... Uh, for those groups to see information such as names, profile pictures, uh, group activity, all kinds of other stuff relating to that group itself. So they're saying that they're calling this a breach, but it sounds like these developers just had access to it. So I'm not sure what they exactly breached. You know, they had access to this API and the API was handing out the info. I mean, that's not exactly a breach, I wouldn't say. But anyway, they're basically saying that about 100 different partners had access to that API. And out of those 100, they're saying that 
we know for sure 11 of those accessed group members' information in the last 60 days. Man, another black eye for your friends at Facebook. And by the way, the, the Libra front has very much dwindled too. So it's getting crazy over there in Facebook land. Doesn't seem to be getting any better really at all. All right, some other news here about Trend Micro. Trend Micro came out the other day and said that a rogue employee stole the data of 68,000 customers and he took that data and sold it to malicious third parties. Uh, Those third parties then used that data to target customers with scam phone calls. So that's a pretty nasty insider threat there, right? I mean, that's that's huge. 68,000 customers information. That freaks me out. And if I was the security guy for Trend Micro, which I'm not, but I I would ask myself and anybody else, why does one person at the company need access to all of this customer information? Why? Why do they need that access? And if they do need that access, how are they controlling that access to make sure that somebody's not misusing it, right? How are we ensuring that 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 information never leaves the database or the information, you know, can't be screenshotted or dumped or anything to be taken elsewhere. But nonetheless, rogue employees are going to cause more and more of this type of stuff. And we're even seeing a few of these instances where bribes come in and they bribe employees that aren't exactly happy with their job. They bribe those folks to implant, you know, raspberry pies and all kinds of malicious code on the network at their job and they pay them for it. So these insider threats seem to be becoming more and more and more prevalent here recently. So certainly something to be thinking about for your internal controls and you know really it's all about limiting the access that people have nobody really needs the access to all of that stuff i wouldn't think right i mean do you have to have you know a hundred thousand customers information probably not right or if you did for a small period of time sure open it up for a little bit and then close it right back off you know that way it's not just sitting out there wide open for somebody to do whatever they want to with it so anyway i thought that was a pretty bad insider threat there and certainly caught my attention There was another eye clinic in Utah that got breached as well. 20,000 patients. Uh, They were the victim of this data breach here. And apparently they are linking this data breach to a scam involving PayPal. So yet another one. All right, let's jump over to the crypto side of things. Stellar is probably, a well, in my opinion, is really one of the coolest cryptos out there. Uh, You can basically send Stellar within milliseconds to and from whoever. You can convert any kind of crypto into Stellar uh, in seconds, and it is just super awesome, super seamless, very, very fast. But I saw this news the other day that they, the Stellar organization burned over 55 billion of their tokens, and that was worth a total of 4.7 billion US dollars. Why in the hell did they burn this up? I, I don't understand. Uh, but in doing so, their price surged about 14%, but they burned basically more than half of the cryptocurrency supply. 
they're basically saying they just didn't need all the tokens they were sitting on. I'm just like, wow, that's that's crazy. I guess it's supply and demand kind of thing, but I thought that was nuts to burn off that many of those tokens like that. It's just it's crazy to see. All right, some other cool cryptocurrency news here. Tencent Global is the company I was mentioning that they're going to start building what they're calling a virtual bank, um, and they're, they're calling it a blockchain-based virtual bank. So they got the green light from the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission to do this. So it makes me wonder what is going to be different about this bank uh, in comparison to other banks out there. But certainly caught my attention and I hope they're not just throwing the word blockchain based into, you know, into this bank to make it sound fancy and to get more customers or whatever. But if they accept and exchange cryptocurrencies, now that would be a totally different story there. All right, some other news here about Ethereum and their hard fork coming up, the Istanbul hard fork. Uh, just a quick update here. They pretty much set the deadline on December 4th, and it's they're pretty much dead set on that. It is going to happen on December the 4th. Now, this is just the Istanbul hard fork, so it's not going to proof of stake yet, but certainly a big one to keep an eye on. This is a hard fork, so it'll be forking off into a new blockchain. The old Ethereum chain will still continue to run, of course, but uh, the new one will fork off and start off a new one. So what that also means too, in, in most cases, this is the way it was with Bitcoin at least, if you have some Ethereum, when this fork happens, you basically end up with double the Ethereum that you did before the fork. So essentially they're taking whatever's in the current Ethereum blockchain and just making a copy of it into a new blockchain. So whatever, however much you had in there, they're gonna take that, copy it into the new one, and you're still going to have the stuff in the old blockchain. So you'll have essentially uh, doubled your money there. I don't know if that's going to be the case with this one. I would assume since this happened with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, all of those other forks like this. I would assume that's still the case here, but certainly something to keep an eye on there. If you're looking to make some money there, might want to put some into Ethereum there, just at least until uh, December the 4th when that hard fork happens. All right, some other news here about uh, Tether. Tether had some really big issues a while back about uh, their stable coin. They said it was backed by US dollars and come to find out it wasn't. Well, they've recently come back out and said they're fully backed now by reserves and yada, yada, yada. And so they're trying to win back the trust of everybody. So I guess we'll see the uh, trading symbol for that is USDT for US dollars tether. Uh, it is a stable coin, but now they're saying it is officially backed by US dollars. I don't know. Do you trust that? Because <laughs> it wasn't backed before. What makes you think it's going to be now? <laughs> makes you wonder. I'm not sure that I would trust it personally, but do your own research, I guess, there and formulate whatever opinion you think of that. All right. <clears throat> Other news here about the Tezos or Tezos or however you say it, blockchain. Uh, they are now doing proof of stake on Coinbase. So proof of stake means all you have to do is buy their crypto and hold it in Coinbase. And you can make 5% a year. That's, you know, that's decent returns. 
you know, if you get enough money in there, you're making, you know, decent money. Uh, it's better than a lot of the current savings accounts that you can go get from the standard banks out there. Uh, so if you're looking to get into the staking game, you can do this now on Coinbase. Uh, Tezos is just one of them. You can also do it with USDC which is USD coin. Uh, you don't make quite as much with that one. I believe with that one, you're making maybe 2% as you hold it. Uh, but Tezos is giving you 5%. Sorry, USDC is 1.25%. So really not a whole heck of a lot there. Uh, but they are starting to get here into proof of stake and it's starting to become slightly more mainstream. Which brings me to my next question. How is proof of stake going to affect crypto mining malware? Because there will be no more mining if proof of stake becomes widely adopted. There won't be any more mining. So what does that mean? Well, if somehow they can deploy some sort of, you know, malware to your system, they don't really need to mine for it. They just need to sit there and hold the coins and they don't have to deploy it to your system to hold it. So I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing maybe a slight decline as proof of stake becomes more and more and more popular. Maybe we'll see a decline in, in the crypto mining malware out there. I guess that's my tinfoil hat theory. Uh, I do think that that will be the case over time. Of course, it's not going to happen overnight, but I do think given enough time, it will definitely happen and you'll see less and less of the crypto mining malware. So proof of stake, again, you're just holding on to it. So there's no sense in putting it on somebody else's computer just to hold on to it. Uh, whereas mining, you're using their computing resources to create that crypto. There's a big difference there. So with staking, you're just holding. So as proof of stake gets a lot more popular, it makes me wonder. But at the same time, I also think too, what am I missing? Is there is there some other sort of threat that they could now create with proof of stake malware? I, I guess I don't see it as of right now. I don't I don't know what that threat would be. But if you have any ideas, I'd certainly love to hear it. Hit me up on Twitter uh, for anything like that. Also, too, want to hear from you guys. Uh, any topics you want me to talk about, please hit me up on Twitter. Uh, just give me some suggestions. You can DM me, whatever it is. Uh, just hit me up on there. Let me know what other topics you'd like me to talk about and uh, we'll certainly talk about them here on the show all right everyone if you want to follow me on twitter again it's at cyber crypto guy thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon